thanking God. I want to thank you, Lord, for that time of anointed worship. It certainly moved my heart, and I'm sure it will have moved many hearts in this place. And I pray you will likewise anoint your word to us this morning. We start with Zephaniah. Well, it is anyhow. It's Zephaniah chapter 3, verses 14 to 20. Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is with you. Never again will you fear any harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and reproach for you. At that time, I will deal with all who oppressed you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they've suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. I will give you honor and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your very eyes. And now we move to Matthew. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 12. In those days, John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt round his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe has been laid to the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and cast into the fire. 
I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And that is the word of the Lord. I would like to pray for Peter. I think he's going to be speaking to us. Do you mind if I do that? Be my guest. (laughs) Well, I want to pray for this very special man, this lovely, humble, precious leader that you've appointed for us. And thank you that he will have prepared the word, but now I ask you to anoint it in a very special way to each one of us, that we may hear what you want to say to us for your dear name's sake. Amen. 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 Thank you. Prepare the way of the Lord. I've never actually personally received or even sent a telegraph or a cable message to somebody the other side of the world. Uh, But apparently, the telegraph and the cable companies used to have a way of sending a a, a message with, uh, for punctuation marks, they used to have to uh, have a code for a punctuation mark within the message that was being sent. Um, However, these days, they have to sort of spell out the punctuation marks, and there was a reason why it changed, and the reason why it changed is this. Apparently, uh, quite a few years ago, there was a woman who was touring around Europe, and she was from America, and she cabled her husband back home in America with a message that said this, have found wonderful bracelets, price $75,000. May I buy it? The husband promptly cabled back, no, comma, price too high. Unfortunately, the cable operator missed the signal for the comma when he was transmitting the message to America. So the reply, which was actually received by the woman in Europe, was no price too high. So therefore, she bought it. As you can imagine, the husband was rather displeased, and he sued the telegraph company, and he won the litigation. Ever since that time, the users of cable telegrams have spelt out punctuation marks, and now you can see why. We are in Advent. We're in the second Sunday now, reached the second Sunday of this season of Advent in the church year. And that story helps to remind us of the attention we need to pay when we receive or we send messages, especially if we are sending or receiving messages about God. We don't want to leave out a comma. We don't want to inadvertently add a semicolon or an unwanted exclamation mark. And in so doing, lose something of the message that this time of year might bring us. And it's a worth paying attention to. Because 
I don't know about you, but Advent is one of those seasons that really is not easy to understand. There's so many messages going on around us, uh, maybe church life or just generally around about us in the world. There's so many messages going on. And of course, they're all trying to grab our attention and make us think that they are the, the message that we really need to pay attention to and to lay hold of our hearts. And of course, not only that, but there's also an irony, isn't there, when it comes to Advent? Because, of course, we're kind of building up, leading up to uh, this uh, excitement of uh, celebrating Christmas Day, an event that is in the near future, the birth of Jesus, the eruption of the kingdom of God, the dawn of the new age, and yet those are events that have happened already a long time ago, 2,000 years ago. And so it reminds me of, a, of another story of a mother who noticed her nine-year-old son who was paying particular attention to his prayers one night. And so his mum said to him, well, why are you praying particularly avidly this evening? And he said, well, the reason is this. I'm asking God to help me. I'm asking God to put the Mississippi in Russia. The Mississippi, I need it to be in Russia because that's where I said it was in my geography test this morning. And so it's a little bit like that with us in Advent, isn't it? And it's intensified by a passage like the Matthew chapter 3 reading we just heard read. Because this has its own measure of difficulties, its own measure of ambiguities. And we're just not sure what to make of this rather disturbing figure called John the Baptist. He's featured here. He's also featured in Luke around the same point in the Gospel in Luke. And in both accounts, he is a rather odd figure. He's a, he's a bit of a long-haired madman, isn't he? He's got a, a rather strange diet. He has uh, locusts and wild honey for his meals. He's a, he's a bit of a zealot. He's, a, you know, he's one of these really strong believers who might get up a little bit too close and start shouting at you or kind of proclaiming something you really need to know about and we kind of take a step back from. And the Anglican Church, you know, it does have them but there's not so many of them in, in our church. But, but John the Baptist has got a message. And it's, he's got a message that the people are finding hard to avoid. And so he's preaching repentance. And he's preaching particularly to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who have come to him where he is baptizing. And he says to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Imagine, you know, these teachers of the law, these highly, highly respected leaders in society who are quaking in their boots, wondering what he's going to say next. And he keeps on thundering, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now, Luke has um, fills out the story a little bit more than, than Matthew does, but in Luke... The, the people around and about are listening and, and say, well, what do we do? They're scared out, of, scared out of their wits. What do we do then? What should we do? And John the Baptist comes back with an answer of a changed life. He says, share what you've got. He says, be fair to those you are dealing with. He says, don't steal from those around you. Be content with what you've got. And so John the Baptist, John the preacher, is, is getting the people ready. 
He's, he's if you like, a warm-up artist for the real thing, for, for, the, for, for Jesus to enter the stage. And no doubt at this point, people are wondering if he is the Messiah, if he is the one who is promised. But he's not. Because he says very clearly, I baptize you with water, but the one who is coming is more powerful than I. And so the people, you know, are thinking, when is he going to arrive? When is he going to appear? And John tells them, he, he lets them into the secret. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so the people are, are, are being preached to and they're being told, Look, get your house in order, get yourself ready. Get your spiritual lives ready for the coming king. And so for us, we can't escape this either. Because that, there comes a point in our lives when we can't escape the coming of Christ. We might try and rationalize him out of the way. We might say, well, actually, you know, I've got all sorts of reasons why I mustn't face up to him. And yet there comes a point, some point in our lives, when we have to take that deep look within ourselves and be honest with ourselves and be honest with God and say, Christ, this is me. This is me, Lord Jesus. And one of the reasons, this is one of the reasons why we've got to be careful with our punctuation in this Advent season. Because it invites us to take that ultimate step of facing the truth about who we are and being open to the knowledge that God knows who we are and we can't hide from him. You can't hide from King Jesus. Now I also asked whoever's going to read the Bible reads to read another passage. That was uh, Zephaniah chapter 3 verses 14 to 20. And there's an echo back and forth between the Old Testament and the New Testament here because Zephaniah, you see, is telling the people of Israel that God is in her midst. God has driven out the enemies. The enemies of, uh, of God's people have been driven out. He has given strength to the hand of Israel and he has brought love into the land. And Zephaniah prophesies and predicts that God's love will continue, his rule will continue, and it will rule over the land. God has come into her midst. And so the echoes of that go back and forth between the Old and the New Testaments, and the echoes of that go on into the, into the time that we're in now, so that God is with his people today. He is with us, God is with us, and he is with us when we enter through the water of baptism. And so because of that, Zephaniah says, rejoice, sing songs, God is with us, he is with us, he makes our hearts glad, he takes great delight in us. And so for us now, in our moment of history, as we await this Christmas day, this Christmas event, it's again a reminder that God has come into the world as one of us. And he continues his ministry through us, his church. Now, is that good news or isn't it? Well, it's both. It is good news because God has come. God is coming. That's good news. And yet it can be news that frightens. Because Jesus' birth heralds 
good news, but it also brings judgment. Judgment, a time of accounting into our lives. And so this is where we go back into Matthew chapter 3, and we see that John the Baptist is this fiery preacher, this man who's preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's preaching judgment. He's saying God is in your, is about to appear. God is about to come into your presence. Be ready for him. It's going to be a time of judgment. And so for us now, that means we need to know where we are in relationship with Jesus. And sometimes, if we're honest, we play games with God. And we kind of say, well, look, look, Lord, I am righteous. I am good. I don't actually need saving because actually I am good enough. And we can sort of play games with God and say, on the outside, look, I'm, I'm fine. I go to church, all these other things. But actually on the inside, there can be this well of hostility towards God and other people. And so that's why we need to be honest with God. And say, to come, when we come into the presence of God, we need the forgiving love of his son, Jesus Christ. And so God's presence in our lives can be bad news because it can be judgment, but it's also good news because it's saving grace. It all depends where we are with Jesus. And, and again, the reminder comes through Matthew chapter 3. It is the time to prepare now. Now is the time to get our lives in order, sorted out, reaffirming our love for Jesus, preparing for the coming of Jesus, to turn to him and be ready for him. You heard of John Wesley? I hope you have. 18th century, start of the Methodist Church. A woman once asked John Wesley this question. Supposing that you knew you were to die at 12 o'clock midnight tomorrow night how would you spend the intervening time and john wesley replied to this lady he said this how madam why just as i intend to spend it now i would preach this evening at gloucester and again i would preach there at five o'clock tomorrow morning after that i would ride to tewkesbury i'd preach in the afternoon i'd meet the society in the evening i then repair to my friend martin's house who expects to entertain me converse and pray with the family as usual, retire at 10 o'clock, commend myself to the Lord, lie down to rest and wake in glory. Now, if you knew that, I don't know whether you spend your last hours in the same way as John Wesley. I don't know. But we can learn something from his attitude. The attitude he had to that lady's question. He was definitely ready He felt that should he meet his maker at any moment, he had nothing to fear. To the contrary, he had something to look forward to. And so the question comes back on us all the time. Scripture's asking us the question, are we ready? Are we prepared to face our midnight hour? Are our lives sufficiently in order? What is the state of our spiritual affairs? How fresh and alive are we in our experience of the saving grace of Jesus? How active are we in our prayer life? How much of ourselves have we given to God? Our mind, our heart, our thoughts, our actions, our motivations, our attitudes, and so on and so on and so on. And those are not easy questions to deal with. But Matthew makes it very clear they must be dealt with. 
because there will come a time we don't know when, when Jesus will return and we will meet him face to face. And so, in the light of this, Advent is a time of preparation. It's a time of thinking through our life, our way of living, and ask ourselves those kinds of questions. You might like to think of it as, as, as a, a police car that comes behind you when you're driving in a line of traffic. You've probably, if you're a driver, been in this situation. You're driving along, you're minding your own business, and all of a sudden you look in your, your rearview mirror and you notice there's a police car who's just kind of arrived behind you. And you're, you, know, you are a pretty safe and a law-abiding driver most of the time. But when this police car arrives in your rearview mirror, all of a sudden, you become the model of courtesy and safe driving. <laughs> you, know, you, you know that you, know you can't just sort of oh, pretty much be within the law. When you've got a police car behind you, you've got to be in the law, within it. And so there you, you are, you're, you're a, a, a model driver. You're not, you're not above the speed limit. You're, you're just underneath it or maybe a little bit lower. You realize that actually your indicator does work when you turn left. You might even slow down when you approach a traffic light just so you don't go through the amber. But there's nothing like it, is there, when you have that police car behind you to make you a model driver, a safe driver. And so it's a bit like that, but much more than that. John the Baptist is saying, be ready. Be ready for the Savior when he arrives. It's about accountability. It's, it's like, you know, that safe driver thing. It, it's much more than that, though, when you're a Christian. What we do with our lives matters. How we think, how we act, how we speak. It's all part of the fabric of God's grace. Because someday we will, be face, we will face an account, an accounting for our living and our lives. So what does this mean on the 8th of December 2019? It means that as Christians, as disciples, as believers, we have more to do than decorate a Christmas tree or wrap presents or write Christmas cards or go to parties. There's nothing wrong with any of that. It means that in addition to that, we need to reflect on how we're living our lives for Jesus. It means setting aside time to be with him to pray, to worship, to hear his voice, to reflect. And just as that police car has that that authority to hold us accountable for the way we're driving, so God, and so much more than that, has that responsibility and accountability for the way we live our lives. And so we must prepare. But there's one important thing I must say before I finish, because if I don't, I will be preaching heresy. And it will be the worst of heresies. And there's a distinction, and I need to make it. Unlike the police officer, and unlike a traffic court judge, we must remember that Christ is, that Christ acts as our judge. And he does so as a God who cares for us so much that he's given his life for us. The baby in the manger will grow up to become Christ on the cross the one who saves the world. Which means that as Christians, we have the amazing knowledge that the one who judges is the one who loves us. We serve a God who, though he he does judge us, 
And though he does take our lives very seriously as to how we live, he is a God who wants us to live life to the full. He is not a God who is waiting in the wings to pull us over to the side of the road and tick us off and say, you you naughty driver. He's not like that. The God who comes to us at Christmas is the one who will return to earth when we least expect him. But he loves us. He wants the best for us. He wants the very best that his grace can provide. So, if we're not ready this Advent to meet this God, if we do not have that confidence that John Wesley had, it isn't God's fault. It is our responsibility. We are the ones who have that ability to refuse to give our lives completely to him. We are the ones who can reserve that portion of our heart that says, actually, Lord, I want that little bit back for me. We are the ones who can be unwilling to trust his love enough so that he is not able to shape us completely. Let me finish with a story. And it's a a story by a man called David Maisel. And he's describing a time in his life when he decides to run away from home. And the story goes like this. He, He says this. Perhaps every child has thought at one time or another of running away from home. Most do not, having the wisdom to get over hurt feelings and stay put in the warmth of their parents' love. But some actually do run away. And I was one of those. I even snitched my father's suitcase to pack my things in. My father's beloved suitcase. It had belonged originally to his great-grandfather. And though small, it was deep and sturdy. Outside, it was soft brown leather. And inside, mulberry-colored cloth. Many fingers and thimbles and needles and threads had mended and remended it over the years. Its handle had a lining of genuine fleece, very sweet to hold. It was night, and it was snowing heavily. Clouds and clouds of snow swirled endlessly ahead. Flakes landed in my eyelashes, sticking there and making me blink. I got as far as a hill overlooking the railroad tracks, about two blocks from home. There's a big locomotive pulling a long line of freight cars puffing by. And for a moment, I had the notion of running down the hill and hopping aboard that train and going and make my brave way in the world alone. But then I thought of my father and how in his work he often had to take trains to go places and how lost he would be without his suitcase. And so I turned back and headed home. Halfway there, my father met me. He had followed my footprints in the snow. I stopped before him and feeling foolish and guilty and holding the suitcase out to him, I said, it's not mine, it's yours. This Advent, there are some of us who have also tried to make our own brave way alone in the world. And we're invited to turn back to our Heavenly Father. 
and hold out, hold out to him our hearts and say to him, it's not mine, it's yours. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you hold our hearts, you hold our lives, you hold our soul in your hands. You are our maker, you are our friend, you are our deliverer, you are our saviour. You are the one who wants to shape our heart, you are the one who wants to shape our lives, so that our lives are beautiful for Jesus. That our lives radiate him. And yet, Father, sometimes we can hold back that little bit of our hearts for ourselves and say, no, Lord, this, that, that little bit is mine. Father, in your grace and in your mercy, would you help us to give our heart fully to you? To mold our lives into lives that shine you. For the glory of the one who has come into the world, the Messiah, the Christ. Amen. Amen.